Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we are coming to a point in our series through the book of Ephesians where we're turning uh, the final corner, coming down the home stretch, and uh, Lord willing, we'll finish up over the next few weeks. Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, verses 1 to 4. Uh, quick question, how many dads in the room this morning? Hands up, dads. Yeah, quite a few of us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Lots of dads here this morning. I don't know about you guys uh, as dads, but I will never forget the day that I became a dad. Any other, anybody else there with me? Like the first time you became a father and, and it's like you're absolutely terrified, right? And, and like, how's this going to go? And uh, for me, that day was July 17th, 2005. And uh, I've told you some of the story before. Stacy and I adopted all three of our kids. And when we adopted Caitlin from China, uh, we went through this extensive process where a caseworker comes into the home and does like a deep dive into your life so that any sense of personal space that you had with this complete stranger that you didn't know two weeks ago is now completely gone. And uh, it did open up great opportunities, though, for us to share the gospel with this guy. So, so we go through this process with the caseworker, and the time finally comes for us to travel to China and officially adopt Caitlin. So we go there with eight or nine other families who are doing the very same thing, and we had been preparing for this for a couple of years, so just try and picture the scene with me if you can, okay? We're in a conference room in a hotel uh, in the middle of China. I'm not even sure I could pinpoint on a map exactly where in China we were, but we were in this really small conference room in a hotel in China, and all of these babies that are about to be adopted, eight or nine of them, have been brought here to this orphanage and to a child they are crying their faces off. Like they are just not happy to be there. And so you can't escape the chaos in the room, right? It is glorious pandemonium. There's about 30 or 40 people in the room. There's crying babies. There's parents-to-be who are crying. There's orphanage workers. There's adoption workers who are trying to make sure everything's in place. It was absolutely great, just chaos everywhere. But before we went, we had two pictures of Caitlin, and so when we got to this conference room and this really small room with 30 or 40 people packed inside, we knew who Caitlin was. We could see her, and, and we knew where she was, and so we walked over, and for what felt like an eternity, we stood about 12 or 15 feet away from her and just waited for the moment when that official transfer could actually happen, and then it did. And this is a little bit of what it looked like about three minutes after that transfer took place. Take a look at that. And so, yeah, I wasn't going for that, but thanks. Um, so so if, if there was this little, like, thought bubble in that shiny space I call my forehead, it would, it would probably say something like this. Hey, I'm a dad. Now what do I do? Right? Like, any other dad's been there? Like, your child is born, your father for the first time. Part of my story is um, that I grew up without a dad. My dad passed away shortly after I was born. And, and knowing that that day was coming, I had spent time reading my Bible, the passages about fatherhood and what it meant to be a godly dad. And to be honest, knowing that day was coming, I was terrified, like absolutely terrified. And then on that day and on so many days since that day, I've been so grateful for passages just like Ephesians 6 that teach us that when it comes to the family, and particularly when it comes to parenting, God has not left us alone. Amen? He has not left us alone, which is really good news for us because we live in a world where sometimes the roles between parent and child seem to be diminished. 
where respect for authority seems to be distorted. And this passage helps dads like me, and I hope parents like you as well, to see that God has a higher purpose for parenting than just making sure that your kids turn out okay. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 shows us that the family who follows God's pattern will enjoy God's blessing, be God's presence, and pursue God's ways all for his glory. So Paul gives instruction to two groups of people here in this passage about what God's pattern is for the family so that if the family will do what we're about to see in Ephesians 6, then they will enjoy God's blessing, they will be God's presence, and they will pursue God's ways all for his glory. So let's have our Bibles open. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 1 and down through to verse 4. You can follow along in your copy of God's word as I start reading. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, Father, we pray uh, once again that you would lead us now as we uh, look into your word. Father, we look to you this morning for wisdom We look to you for instruction about how to live this life that you have given us, knowing that when we live it in the way that you call us to, that there is blessing, there is joy, there is peace, there is hope, and there is true life in Jesus Christ. So Father, even now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together, may they be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So two instructions Paul gives here about following God's pattern for our families. His first instruction is to children. So notice this first. Number one, you may want to jot this down. God's pattern is for children to obey and honor their parents. God's pattern is for children to obey and honor their parents. Now here's the rub. We're not wired that way. And we never have been. Like we don't need to be told how to disobey, right? We've got that covered. We need to be told how to obey. Think about it. From the first moments in the Garden of Eden when Eve listened to the serpent and then her and Adam started eating from the tree from which they should not have been eating, what were they doing? They were disobeying. And they didn't need help in understanding what it meant to disobey. It just came naturally. And that nature now has been passed on to all of us as well. Which is why I want you to see that this one paragraph here in Ephesians 6 that we're looking at actually serves a much bigger picture. So follow me through this. Follow the logic of what Paul is saying here in the Bible. He says, first of all, children. So this instruction is for children who are living under the authority and the provision of their parents. At the same time, it's also for parents who are raising those children. And all of this here is predicated on these three words where Paul says, in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So children, children in the room right now, Obeying your parents is one of the ways that you show that you are committed to obeying God. That word obey here is a really interesting word. It, it uh, carries the idea of answering the door. Um, so imagine for a minute that you're at home and someone comes and knocks at your front door and you go see who it is and, and you listen for an answer from the other side of the door and then only then do you decide whether or not you're going to open that door and let that person in. See, we decide whether or not to open the door based on what we perceive the value on the other side of the door to be. 
For example, someone comes to your front door, knocks on your front door, and, and you go down, you see who it is, you wait for the voice on the other side to tell you who it is, and that voice says, I'm here from Publishers Clearinghouse, I have a $10 million check for you. You're going to swing that door wide open, give the guy a big bear hug, welcome him into your house, right? You're not going to let that go, right? But if somebody comes to your door and knocks on the front door, and you go down to the door and wait for the voice on the other end to tell you who it is, and they say, hi, I'm here to sell you electricity, well, you keep the door closed and you walk away, Right? No offense to those of you who sell electricity. I'm sure you do a great job. Okay, but the idea here is that we decide whether or not to open the door based on what we perceive the value on the other side of the door to be. There's a really good example of this in the Bible about two brothers named Hophni and Phinehas. I'm not sure if there's any young families here who are expecting kids looking for baby names. Hophni and Phinehas, great choices. So Hophni and Phinehas, you can read their story in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and and the Bible says in 1 Samuel 2 that they were worthless men who did not follow the Lord. Just think about that for a minute. How bad does it have to be that the Bible calls you worthless, right? And you do not fear the Lord. They were blatantly disobeying God. They were not doing what God says. And so one day their father, Eli, comes to them and says to them, why are you doing this? Like, why are you living like this? You need to stop living this way because this is not pleasing to God. And so they didn't listen. They knew that what they were doing was wrong, but they wouldn't listen to their father. And so they just went on making a mockery of God and all of his ways. And eventually, Hophni and Phinehas ended up paying for that with their life. Hophni and Phinehas knew that what they were doing was wrong, and when their dad, Eli, came and told them so, that was just affirming it. And every day, It was like Hophni and Phinehas were standing there with their hand on the doorknob deciding whether or not they would answer the door and let the wisdom of God into their life. The problem was that every time they left the door closed and walked away, they weren't just walking farther away from dad, they were walking farther away from God. And I know, I know right now that there are some of you who are sitting here and you can relate to Eli. You can relate because your, your heart breaks for this dad right now because you know what it's like to try and show your kids the importance of turning away from self and turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus and walking after him. But it just seems the more that you try to do that, the more that your kids end up walking away from God instead of walking closer to him. Which as a parent then leaves you with this overwhelming helplessness. It leaves you in some sense with this crushing sense of guilt. Which is why really I want you to remember two things. If that's where you are right now, I want you to remember two things. Number one, remember that God has grace for you. God has compassion and mercy and love to pour out on you as you cry out your broken heart to him on behalf of your children. But the second thing I want you to remember is that God loves your child. God knows, listen, God knows where your prodigal child is. And, and maybe it's not even a prodigal child who's, who's just gone. Maybe it's a difficult child that you're just having a hard time getting through to and, and having a hard time teaching and instructing in the ways of the Lord and, and you're just, you just don't know what to do anymore. You're just overwhelmed with a sense of helplessness. Listen, God knows. God loves your prodigal child. God loves your difficult child even when you don't know where they are, even when you don't know what they're doing. And for all of the grace that God has for you as a parent, Don't forget that God has that same grace for them as your child. See, in the end, every person, including every child, will individually choose whether or not to open the door to godly wisdom within their life. And so that's why it's so important for us kids, all the kids in the room right now, this is a heart check time for you. 
Okay? This is a heart check time. Here's the question of the hour. When your parents tell you to do something, do you, in your heart, value the wisdom that they are speaking into your life? On a more simple level, are you obeying your parents? Maybe you're like, well, what does it matter if I clean my room when my mom tells me to? Or what does it matter if I take out the garbage when my dad tells me to? Some might even be wondering, what if my parents don't love Jesus? Do I still obey them? And the answer to that is yes. That unless they are commanding you to disobey Jesus, your responsibility as someone who loves Jesus is to obey them as a testimony of God's saving and changing grace within your life. And so when you begin to think about it like that, when mom tells you to clean your room, or when dad tells you to take out the garbage, or when mom or dad tell you the bazillion other things that they want you to do, that matters because God has put you under the authority of your parents. And the choice that you make in that moment is showing what you think, not only about the authority of your parents, but ultimately about the authority that God himself has put you under. So kids, it's a heart check time for you, but parents, it's also a heart check time for us as well. And the question of the hour for us is simply this. Is the instruction that we're giving to our children speaking wisdom into their life that is worth them valuing? Is that which we are putting before them worthy of them opening the door and letting it into their life? All of this comes together when we consider that this was God's plan from the beginning. So notice this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, one of the classic passages in the Bible about parenting and family. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then down to verse 12 it says, Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Don't miss the point here. Parenting is not just about raising a responsible child who will then become a responsible adult. It's not just about giving kids the tools that they need to succeed in life. Those things are good, they're fine, and they all have their place. But the primary aim of godly parenting is to help your children see God. Help them see that God is the most important. God matters most. The commands of God are for our good. And when we, when we walk in his ways, we will know his blessing. Which leads us then right into what Paul says next in verse 1. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is right. What makes this right? It's the right way because it's God's way. Children, it's the right way because it's God's way, and God's way is always the right way. This is ultimately a question of authority, which is what makes this so countercultural, not just for Paul's day, but really for our day as well, right? We live in a culture that pushes back against so many forms of authority, and what this is saying is that God is the ultimate authority over the family, which means then that if God is the ultimate authority over the family, then God's word is the ultimate authority manual for the family. Like that's what Deuteronomy 6 is teaching us. That's what Ephesians 6 is teaching us. Children, listen. Listen so carefully to this. 
School is not the most important. There should be kids all across the room right now. Amen. Preach. Like, come on, right? Even as we enter into the last week of school for the year, sorry about the timing on that. But school is not the most important. Your friends are not the most important. Your video games are not the most important. And parents, your kids' sports or their clubs or their lessons or whatever are not the most important. You being your kid's best friend is not the most important. Giving your kids whatever they want whenever they want it is not the most important. Your kid's security and comfort is not the most important. Children, parents, everyone, listen. God is most important. God is the most important. So parents, let's commit, again, to raising our kids in ways that help them see in whatever ways that we possibly can the love that God has for them in his only son and that the only pathway to true joy and true life and true peace for them will be found in laying down their life for Jesus. This is the bigger picture that I want us to see this morning. Children are to obey their parents, yes, but the ultimate point in children obeying their parents is that in obeying their parents, a child learns to obey God. See, every opportunity for obedience for every child is like a question. Will I open this door and will I welcome in the wise instruction of my parents or will I purposely leave that door closed and just walk away? God's pattern is for children to obey their parents, but also, notice this, to honor their parents. So verse 2, Paul says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now this is where the circle gets really big because it doesn't really matter how old we are. We never stop honoring our parents. It's the idea that you respect and value and love your parents and oftentimes that shows itself by living your life in the way that you were taught to live in a way that follows God. A few weeks ago, um, our family went over to a friend's house for dinner. Uh, fellow believers, uh, they go to a different church here in our city and, and we had dinner together and then we spent a few hours at their house afterwards just hanging out and, and our kids were playing with their kids who are roughly the same ages and At the end of the night, we went home, and uh, the next day, each of our kids commented on how their friends got along so well as siblings, and how they treated each other with respect and kindness and grace, and and our kids were like, yeah, you know, we definitely love each other, and we have grace for one another for sure, but but maybe there's some things that we could do better in our own relationships with each other. Maybe there's some ways that that we can tighten things up as well, and Stacy and I were like, let's hang out with them more, Right? (laughs) Like, like, let's go back to their house right now. And, and even if they're not home, we'll just wait outside. It won't be strange at all. And so, and so like, let's spend time with them. And so Stacy texts the mom the next day and, and says, hey, listen, this is what our kids picked up from time with your kids last night. And we just want to thank you for the influence that your kids have been on our kids. And we just want to encourage you with that. Now, those kids are not perfect. That family's not perfect, just like none of our families are perfect either. But those kids are honoring their parents by living in the way that their parents have taught them to live for God. Paul's quoting here from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 12. And and the idea here is that when you follow God's pattern and you obey and honor your parents, then God will naturally bless that. Which is why he says in verse 2, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So the principle there is that when you obey God, God will bless you. 
This was the story of the Old Testament, people of God, Israel. When, When the people obeyed God, God blessed them with the land to live in. Warren Wiersbe has a helpful way of explaining this. He says, when children obey their parents in the Lord, they will escape a good deal of sin and danger and thus avoid the things that could threaten or shorten their lives. But life is not measured only by quantity of time, he says. It's also measured by quality of experience. God enriches the life of the obedient child no matter how long he may live on the earth. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. Notice that. Anytime we try to live life outside of the way that God has given us this life to be lived, we get robbed. We get robbed of joy, peace, happiness, fulfillment, meaningful relationships, love as we were truly meant to experience it. But when we live in the way that God has told us to live, we get enriched by a growing presence of all of those very same things. So consider what God is saying to us in his word. Whenever we choose to live independently of God, we always settle for something less. Even when we think that living independently of God is the best way that we could live our life. But that's the nature of sin, right? It always deceives us into thinking it can give us something that it never can. And this is the world that we live in, isn't it? So many children, teenagers, young adults, so many people just in general looking for purpose and meaning and identity. And it's like our culture has gone around knocking on every possible door it can fathom, every door it can find, hoping that eventually one of those doors will swing wide open and give us all of the answers that we've actually been searching for to bring fulfillment to the deepest parts of our soul. And so culture just keeps going around knocking randomly on all of these different doors. Maybe if I had different friends. Maybe if I had those new clothes, maybe drastic measures are my only hope. Maybe I'm not the right gender, and so on and so on and so on it goes, and just keeps randomly knocking on all of these doors, looking for wisdom, looking for one of those doors to swing open and give us what we've been searching for. God is saying to us in his word that anytime we try to find our purpose and identity apart from what he has revealed in his word, we get robbed. In the meantime, the Bible's also telling us how to be enriched. Children, listen so carefully. Start by opening the door and letting godly wisdom of your parents into your life. And parents, in a spirit of love and grace, we could even extend this in some sense to grandparents as well. In a spirit of love and grace, don't stop knocking on the door of your children's heart. And keep praying, keep praying for God to soften their hearts so that they'll open the door and let that godly wisdom in. Kids, children, you want your life to count? I know that you do, because we all do. I mean, that's the way that God has wired us, that you want your life to count for something that's so much bigger than yourself. See, God is making a promise here that if you will obey and honor Not only is there blessing that comes from that, but he will also give you presence in this world as his child. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, notice he says here, you will live long in the land. That's not just a promise of blessing. That's a promise of presence and influence as well. In other words, kids, it's no mistake that God has put you in the specific school where you are in the specific classroom where you are, with the specific teacher that you have. It's no mistake that God has put you in the specific job that you're in. 
It's no mistake that God has given you the specific friends that you have. It's no mistake that God has put you in the specific family in which you live. God has put you in those places so that you will have a presence there as someone whose life has been changed by his grace. And one day, he's going to take you to new places. He's going to take you to new mission fields. And he's going to give you a presence there to tell others about the God who loves them and the Savior who died for them. See, this is the purpose of your life. This is what you were made for. You were made for the glory of the one true God and to lead others into the glory of his name as well. And so as a child within your home, under the loving authority and protection of your parents, one of the primary ways that you display that glory is to obey and honor your parents. Which I hope then helps us to see the importance of this second point, number two. God's pattern is for fathers to encourage and edify their children. So God's pattern is for children to obey and honor their parents. Number two, God's pattern is for fathers to encourage and edify their children. Dads, this would be a really good place for us to sit up, pay attention, lean in, see what God has to say to us specifically right now. This would also be a really good place for everyone else who is not a dad to take notes on how to pray for those of us who are. All right? So, verse 4, the original word here for fathers uh, could be used to refer to both mom and dad, as it does in Hebrews 11, uh, but the primary reference, based on the context here, seems to be speaking specifically to fathers. So, verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, don't forget the people to whom Paul is writing this letter. So he's writing this to Ephesian Christians who are living in this Roman culture. And in Roman culture, a father had absolute authority over his children and his family. They actually had a custom in Roman culture that was called the father's power. It meant that a father could do basically anything he wanted within the context of his family life with no fear of legal charges or any kind of discipline. So the father had unquestioned authority over every realm of his family's life. So part of the way that played out is that when a child was born, the father would sit in a chair, kind of like the throne of his home, and the newborn child would be placed on the floor uh, between the father's feet, and everyone would just stand there and wait in suspense to see what the dad would do. Because if the father leaned over and picked up his child, then the child lived and stayed with the family. But if the dad got up and just walked away, then the child was sold at an auction or at worst was just left there to die. As the child grew up, the father had free reign to discipline however he wanted. And when the child was old enough, the father would arrange their marriage, sometimes even arrange their divorce. The dad could disown his children. He could sell them into slavery. He could even take their life if they did something of which he did not approve. All of this to simply say, Fathers in this culture hardly ever felt any kind of fear of provoking their children to anger because so many fathers in this culture worked so hard to make sure that their children knew that they were the ones who were in charge. Now, by God's grace, we don't live in a culture where the father's power is widely acceptable, but there can be times where, where we provoke our children to anger there can be times where we get into these repeated patterns that cause unnecessary frustration for our kids. For example, uh, favoritism, favoring one child over another, playing one child against another. Think in the Bible of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac favored Esau, Rebekah favored Jacob. That didn't exactly go well for their family dynamics. 
And it's not just favoring one child over another. Maybe it's comparing one child to another. You know, if you could only be more like your sister, your brother doesn't do it like that, why do you do it like that? Sometimes it's not even comparing to one another, but maybe comparing your kids to a better version of themselves. Pressuring kids to do something instead of first pointing our kids to be someone. Sometimes it's manipulation. Sometimes it's lack of encouragement. Sometimes we even turn our children into mini idols and and we do everything that we can to preserve and protect and before we know it, we become like these helicopter parents, right? Like whoop, 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 right? We just hover over them so closely and so tightly that there's no room for them to breathe or to grow or to make any mistakes. Here's the thing. Any dad or really any parent who deliberately and uh, repeatedly raises their kids like that is bound to have kids who have a whole messy pile of anger issues. So when Paul says here, dads, don't provoke your children to anger, he's totally going against the grain of the culture, which is exactly the point. What Paul is doing here is gospelizing fatherhood. He's gospelizing parenting. So dads, The point of fatherhood is to show your kids a picture of the gospel, that just as the father has loved us, just as the father has never played favorites with us, never compared our worth or value to another of his kids, never loved us based on what we could or could not do for him, just like God loves us like that, we love our children like that as well. It's the gospelization of parenting, which is why, Paul says then, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's the same idea that Paul used back in chapter 5 in verse 29 to talk about how husbands are to take care of their wives, to nourish, to nurture, to edify with love and grace and purpose. So when he talks about discipline here, discipline is, is not just consequences for wrong behavior. It is that, but it's also the continual training for how to live your life for God. Think about someone studying the discipline of economics or, or the discipline of mathematics or the discipline of this or that. You know, it's the discipline of learning what it means to live your life for God. Instruction, then, is like you're in the classroom of life. And dads, we're sitting down with our kids. We're, we're teaching our kids how to think rightly about God. We're teaching our kids how to think rightly about themselves. We're teaching our kids how to think rightly about this life, which is why we need to see that this is the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Because until our kids can think rightly about God, they will not think rightly about themselves. Until our kids think rightly about God, they will not think rightly about the world in which we live and the challenges that they face on a daily basis. So just think about this right now. Just think across this room right now what a massive difference it could make when every dad is committed to this vision of parenting. Think of the difference that it makes, not just in this generation, but then in the generation after that, and the generation after that, and the generation, like don't just think about your children. Think about the great-grandchildren of your children and their grandchildren. Think three, four, five generations down the line. Even in our nation, where the society is trying so hard to change the nature of marriage and the family to the point where the role of dad is all but being eliminated. How countercultural then for Christian dads, dads who follow Jesus, to edify and encourage. And dads, the greatest way for us to do that is by repeatedly speaking the gospel into the life of our family. Repeatedly 
preaching the gospel into our children's lives, into their circumstances, into our entire family life. Teach your family about the greatest problem that we have. It's called sin. Teach your kids that their disobedience and rebellion is not simply because they don't like what you're telling them to do, that it's actually a manifestation of a much deeper problem in their heart that they can't fix by themselves. And praise God, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus died for disobedient people. So teach them that their greatest problem is sin, but also teach them that the only solution is Jesus. Confess your sins, the Bible says, and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to purify you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1 verse 9. So teach them that once their lives have been changed by this gospel, then the entirety of their lives becomes shaped by this gospel. Like it changes the way that we see God. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see the world around us. It changes the things that we think about and the way we spend our money and the decisions that we make and the way that we spend our time. It even changes the way that we look at what it means to obey and honor your parents. See, parents, listen. Moms and dads. Your child's greatest need is not a higher self-esteem. Your child's greatest need is not more freedom or a greater sense of self-fulfillment. Your child's greatest need is not for you to point them to some inner strength that they might have to get through the challenges that they're going through. Every child's greatest need, your children's needs, my children's needs, every child's need, greatest need, always has been and always will be regeneration. And then sanctification, every child's greatest need is Jesus. So dads and moms, God in his grace and wisdom has given us this stewardship. And the really good news is that he has not left us alone. So that we don't have to be in that picture anymore with the thought bubble up above our heads. What am I going to do now? He has not left us alone. He has given us his spirit within us. And he has given us his word in front of us to lead us in the way that we should go. God's pattern is for children to obey and honor their parents and for fathers to encourage and edify their children. The family who follows God's pattern will enjoy God's blessing, be God's presence, and pursue God's ways, all for his glory.